in this generation are facing a dangerous battle for their hearts with depression, teen pregnancy, fatherlessness, suicide, and the loss of hope at an all-time high. Their options are limited to the latest self-help books or pop philosophy. But at Strength Dignity Life, we believe women can be made whole by the power of God's Word. This is Strength and Dignity Live with your host, April Ortiz. April Ortiz. Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Strength of Me Life podcast. Uh, I just have some questions for you. Have you ever found it difficult to study the Bible and to live like Jesus? Or have you been frustrated? You know, you're like getting in the Bible. You're saying, okay, I've made my decision. I'm going to follow Jesus with all of my heart. But you don't know what that looks like practically. I know that can be a little scary and can be a little intimidating when you're first coming to Christ. But today on the podcast, we have one of my favorite guests and good friends. Um, This gentleman that I have today, he is going to be sharing a book that he wrote. And it is going to help us to learn to read and study the Bible. And I dare even say that it will spark a love for the scriptures. I know it has done that for me. So my guest is Shizo, and he is the author of the books Fact or Fiction, In His Presence series, An Epistle of James, and his new book that we're talking about today, which is part of the In His Presence series, and it is challenged through the book of Genesis. Genesis, y'all, Genesis. And if you have ever tried to read the Bible from the beginning to the end, you get to Genesis and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a lot of crazy stuff. I'm not really sure about all of this. But Sean is an incredible guy. He is a verse by verse pastor out of Calvary Chapel El Centro in California. I know that he is going to do an incredible job of getting us excited about getting into the word and sharing this wonderful tool that he has created for each and every one of us. So welcome, Sean. Hey, Sean. Hello, April. You are a beloved friend, and I really hope I live up to the hype that you just set forward. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on, Sean. Yes, you are. (laughs) I'm just saying it like it is, right? That's who you are. You're very So, Sean, you've authored some really compelling books, I have to say. Um, When I think about the Bible and I think about studying the word, it can can be intimidating. And I love the way that you have written these books that have really been helpful in my life personally to be able to get into the scriptures. You've written uh, books on, on the Bible and on apologetics. And what I find really interesting about what you've done and and what you've written is that this is coming from a guy who didn't want anything to do with God, right? You didn't want anything to do with God, and yet you have brought this richness to the scriptures and such an incredible faith that we're able to read as we delve into your books. So, Sean, like, what is up with this? <laughs> Why don't you share your journey that you went through? Because seriously, if people just pick up your book and they read it, um, immediately they're going to think, oh, man, this homeboy, he's like walking with Moses or something like that, right? So, so break it down for us, man. Tell us, what's the truth? <laughs> yeah, I guess my testimony in a nutshell is I did not grow up in the church, did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, there was no Bible, God. Christian upbringing, none of that stuff. In fact, I would say the first 12 years of my life, I was being bounced around a number of different families to the point to where then I was a foster child for over a year. Um, 
for those who are familiar with the Imperial Valley, we have a receiving home for foster kids that when you get pulled out of a household, you get placed there to then be transferred to either a group home or a foster home or whatever else. And uh, now it's run much better because it's run by behavioral health. And, uh, but when I was there, it was run by probation. And so the same people who are working the juvenile hall and the jail right next door were also in the receiving home with us. And so it was pretty cold, a lot of yelling. Um, and I was there for about a year. And so shortly after that, I would say my freshman year of high school, by this time I'm living with my mother and then that didn't go well. So I lived with my father who just got out of prison because he was trafficking drugs for the Mexican mafia and he was on house arrest. And in that time period, I get invited to Calvary Chapel. By this point in my freshman year of high school, I hate God, hate Christians. I think the Bible is full of nonsense. This is one big scam and money scheme. And so I came with a lot of uh, bias and issues and baggage. And I was one of those guys who was Googling a lot of skeptical questions to try and prove that the Bible was wrong. God doesn't exist. Christianity is irrelevant, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> every question I asked, I began to receive more and more answers to where I could not deny that John 14, 6 is true, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so my youth pastor, Kirk Reynolds, great guy, and him and his family now live in Idaho, much more beautiful, aesthetically. <laughs> and he gave another opportunity to repent, give my life to Jesus, and uh, just surrendered my life to the Lord in freshman year of high school, sophomore year. I think I, that's where my life turned from just having my fire insurance, uh, not going to hell, <laughs> but actually becoming a disciple and a follower of Jesus. And just thinking really simply, you know, late sophomore year of high school, that if this is really true, I mean, if God is really real, the Bible is really true, Jesus really is who he says he is, then I would be the most, can I say stupid? Yeah, do it. <laughs> person on the face of the earth to know that that is true and not do that. And so uh, the rest is history from there. Went off to, you know, get an education, traveled. My wife and I have been married uh, going on six years, November 1st. <clears throat> and we have uh, two boys, uh, James and Benjamin. And so, yeah, I've been serving here as pastor at Calvary for uh, about, gosh, seven years when we first started the Bible College back in 2014. That is an incredible story. I mean, seriously, I, I love, I thank you for sharing that because I think that's going to give hope to some people. There are people out there who think my family member, there's no way they're going to come to Christ. I don't know if I'm ever going to see them, you know, darken the door of the church and to know just where you were at and how God was able to just redeem that in your life. And now you're writing these incredible books. I think that is just so, uh, I don't know, just so promising, just so hopeful in the fact that God is good to his word, that he's not slack concerning his promises, right? <laughs> he's definitely out there to just uh, to seek and save those that are lost. So I think that's amazing. Um, so question to you, as we're talking about your book today, what made you write this book? Great question. So <clears throat> the first book in the In His Presence series was on James, and I first started clicking away at these words in the hospital of when our firstborn was about to be born. <laughs> and wow. So we were at the hospital at Brawley in California, and uh, we were going to be there for a while, and so I brought my laptop. I thought, well, I might as well uh, make good use of the time, and so first started clicking away at it, 
And then, so that was the first one. And it was on James, kind of a dedication to my firstborn. And the next one being on Genesis. I think it's really timely for a lot of reasons we can maybe get into later. But uh, the big picture of why even doing this series in the first place is that in the big picture, when I die, because all of us, you know, there's a 10% or 100% chance (laughs) that we're all going to pass away. Or if you're a Christian, you know, the rapture, that's a possibility too, which is a whole nother topic. But um, a whole other book right there, Sean. Yeah, (laughs) eschatology, end times. And so when I pass and I go to be with the Lord, I want there to still be a body of work. I want there to still be something that God can use through my life to continue to minister to people. And so the In His Presence series is going to be on the whole Bible. That's the plan. There's some other books that are going to, that are coming out as well, like the Fact or Fiction one that's on apologetics. Actually, one I'm working on right now is called Introduction to Pastoral Ministry. So I've been nice. interviewing 10 lead pastors in the Imperial Valley asking 10 different questions. I've got eight down, two more to go. And wow. I'm really excited to get that resource into people's hands. So uh, anyways, that's kind of the big picture of why writing, you know, in my asking of God, what do you want to do with my life? Um, that was one of the things he had put on my heart. Awesome. So um, there's a couple of things that I'm going to want you to define for us as we go in, because I'm sure we're going to delve deeper into the work, but um, some words that you kind of threw out there, just, just so that people know there's a, one is apologetics. What is that? <laughs> the definition. So why don't you tell us what apologetics is? Definitely. and. Uh, gosh, this, I love this topic. And so it's hard for me to like (laughs) get into a nutshell, but uh, very basically apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense. You find that word in first Peter chapter three, verse 15, where the apostle Peter is being led by God to tell us to give a defense for the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear. And so we, particularly in the West, are not under physical persecution like many of our other brothers and sisters in Jesus other, in other places in the world, but we are absolutely under intellectual persecution. And so how do we not only defend against these intellectual uh, onslaughts of skepticism, but how do we actually go on the offensive with love and with truth in a way that is going to compel people to get over their intellectual skeptical bias and obstacles to come to the cross of Christ? So that's kind of a nutshell of what Christian apologetics is. It's understanding uh, the defense of Christianity from an evidence perspective to where you don't even need to open the Bible once to prove that Christianity is true. Wow, that's, that's good. So your book is called A Devotional, and why don't you explain to us what a devotional is? Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> the, the pres- In His Presence series is a devotional commentary series. And so I guess those are two main words that are... Yeah, being- those are, that was the other question I was going to ask. <laughs> so <laughs> you put it together, go for it. <laughs> yeah. And so a devotional in Christian literature is typically something that is... And you can totally chime in here and uh, add to this. But from my perspective, something that's very heartfelt, it's very application-driven, it's um, in short snippets typically... And that's kind of a Christian devotional, help you to draw uh, you closer to God in your love and affection for him. And a commentary is something you could say maybe slightly more academic or educational, because a commentary basically 
takes a book or a passage of scripture and then it'll explain it from a history perspective, cultural, maybe it does word studies, uh, maybe there's prophecy in there, maybe apologetics. And so it's really explaining the text, but it's not actually giving a whole lot of application. And so one of the hopefully unique perspectives on the In His Presence Challenge series is that it would be both of those things. It would give you bite-sized, straightforward commentary to help you understand the scriptures on your own, but also that devotional aspect to where it's very, very applicable. You'll notice at the end of each day's reading, there's not only uh, prayer, but there's also an action point that you can put rubber meets the road, you know, hand to the plow. How do I apply God's word in my life throughout every passage of scripture, which is one of the reasons why this is best done in a small group or a partner setting. Awesome. Actually, that is one of my favorite parts of your book is the action points, because I am that kind of a person. I like sometimes, you know, I can read something and I'm like, okay, but how does this translate into real life? And what do I need to do? What steps do I need to take? And I love that you put those in there that you spell it out for us and give us you know, different options of things that we can do and just kind of take us through that process. So that almost if for some reason, there's somebody out there that's reading your book that doesn't have a small group, which definitely want to encourage that, mm-hmm. um, that they actually have something, they, something tangible, something, something practical that they can do. So I like that. Now you call it also, it's a challenge. Each one of them is a challenge through a book. Why did you call it a challenge? Because hopefully it's challenging. And when I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, it is very challenging to me, not only on a personal level as far as God wanting to sharpen my character to look less like Sean Arviso and to look more like Jesus the Christ. <laughs> and so that's a challenging you know, aspect just on a personal level. But also corporately as the church, we're not supposed to be living this Christian life in isolation or Rambo style Christianity, where we're just gung ho on our own going out on the world. Uh, We're supposed to be a team, a family, the body of Christ, the church. This is a corporate deal. And so corporately, the church is hopefully challenged by God's word, not only on the face value of it when you read it, but also in the very practical uh, application of it. And so if you go through the in his present series, the application points are not just spiritual disciplines like read your Bible more, pray more, <laughs> very practical, you know, personal finance stuff. There's also yeah. about sexual harassment and, and trafficking. There's also things on mental illness and mental health, um, leaving a legacy. And so there's different practical, you know, things because the Christian life is not, uh, you know, like compartmentalized, like I have my real life and then I live my Christian life on Sunday mornings type of thing. Yeah. No, Jesus is all consuming. Like he should be your everything. The Bible should be what you soak yourself in. Okay. So what does that look like though? And that's kind of what the series is about. Awesome. Okay. So let's, let's jump into this book because there's so much richness here. And the first thing I, I, I just wonder is why is Genesis so important? And I love what you outline in the very first, like it's like the introduction uh, chapter that you have. Why is Genesis so important, John? Absolutely. So throughout the book, it talks about how it is the very foundation of history. It is the foundation of the Bible. It is, you know, depending on your understanding of Genesis, it will uh, kind of help determine your understanding of the rest of the Bible. And so, for example, 
there's so much throughout the entire Bible, which is about 31,000 verses that all reference back to the book of Genesis and specifically the first 11 chapters and even more specifically the first three chapters. Because within those first 11 chapters, you find the origin of the universe, mankind, uh, nations, governments, languages, religions. I mean, it is the very basis of reality. And so if you have a good foundation in your understanding of Genesis, then that's going to help you to build a good understanding of the rest of the Bible, understand who you are, understand who God is, understand why the world is in the way that it is. Where did coronavirus come from? Why <laughs> racism and, and riots? You know, why do we even have social justice movements? Well, all of these things can be found back to the book of Genesis. I like that you start with this. Um, I just recently had a conversation with a listener and what they mentioned to me, we're talking, she, she asked me, okay, <clears throat> excuse me, where do I start reading my Bible? And so usually everyone says, start with the book of John. She said, well, I started reading in Genesis because I thought I'd read it from the beginning to the end. She's like, and people told me that the Bible was all about Jesus. She's like, but I never read Jesus in Genesis. He's not in there. He's like, she's like, did I get the wrong version of the Bible? Did I get like some knockoff Bible that doesn't have Jesus in it? So, so I thought it was really cool that you started with that. What do you have to say to that? Absolutely. So there's a phrase that goes, Jesus is on every page of scripture. And to a degree, that is absolutely true. But to be specific with regard to Genesis, you could say we see the first mention of a savior in Genesis chapter 3, where sin enters the world, uh, God gives this judgment upon mankind and upon men and women, but also of Satan. And he talks about how the seed of the woman, well, we know physiologically, women don't have seed, that's a male thing. And so what does it mean? The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, the serpent being Satan. What does that mean? Seed of the woman is going to crush Satan. Well, people would call that, and here's a big fancy word, proto-evangelion. This is known in Greek as the first gospel. Proto meaning first, evangelion meaning good news. And so people would say that the seed of the woman is the proto-evangelion. It is the first mention of the good news of Jesus, that mm. it prophesied that way in the future, Mary would have this immaculate conception by the Holy Spirit, and that <clears throat> that seed being Jesus is going to crush Satan. And uh, then this is where we get the phrase that we have been saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell. We are being saved from the power of sin, which is sanctification. And we will be saved from the very presence of sin, which is glorification when we enter heaven. Wow. that I like that explanation. <laughs> that was like super, super clear. Um, so another thing is, um, how are we supposed to read the Bible? I know you break it down in your book, but I would love for you to do that because I think that there's some people that are listening that they've, like, like we said, we look at the Bible, it's really intimidating. We don't know what to do with it. So how should one read the Bible? Yeah. And the big picture before we get into the tactics of how to, um, maybe just a slightly level higher than that is understanding why is reading the Bible even important? And some people would say, well, Sean, I have a hard time focusing or studying. I'm not really a book guy or a book girl. You know, that's just not my thing. And I totally understand that. Some people are more visual or auditory or, you know, maybe uh, hands-on. I get that. Some people just have a hard time sitting down and focusing on the words <laughs> of the page of anything. 
Um, and so let's understand why is it even important to read the Bible? And very simply, it's because your life depends on it. Your life depends on it. So whether you like to or not, you're inclined to study or not, you need to. In fact, Jesus says when quoting Deuteronomy, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so by you not soaking yourself in the Bible, you are spiritually killing yourself. And I use that language and you may think, oh my gosh, Sean, that seems a bit harsh. Really, that's an understatement because we don't truly understand how amazing God is and how unamazing we really are and how much we need him. He is the great I am. We're the great I am nots. And yet by his grace, he wants relationship with us. But you won't get all that unless you crack open your Bible or you maybe download the version app and listen to the audio version or, you know, some way. And so there's a quote that I love from Charles Spurgeon. He says, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And I love that because, yes, there's a lot of great information out there, but we have to live in Scripture. We have to always come back to it. And you're not going to understand it all. That's fine. But are you progressing? You don't need to be perfect, but are you progressing? So that's kind of why we need to, because we need to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, how do we actually go about it? Okay, let's say you crack open your Bible. You start at the first verse of a book. There's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New what should your process more or less be like? Because it should be a process. And so um, there's something called inductive Bible study methods. And that's just kind of a way to read your Bible because you, there's a message that God has for you. And he's not trying to be complex or convoluted. It's not like he's trying to hide himself. No, he wants to make himself known to you, which is one of the reasons why the Bible even exists. And so how do we go about getting the message God has for us? Three steps, very simple. Number one, observation. Number two, interpretation. Number three, application. Number one, observation. You're asking the question, what does the text say? Not what do I think it says? What does my pastor say it says? What does this YouTuber or podcast say it says? What does the text say? And you're writing down things like the who, what, when, where. We'll get to the why in the next <laughs> part. And so who, what, when, where, we're talking about. And if you want to get really nerdy on this, which I personally of, you know, recording like what's going on in history, who's the author, who's the audience, you know, where is this taking place, what time period, all that kind of stuff. That's the observation. What does the text say? If you do a good job there, then the interpretation becomes pretty easy, which you're asking the question, what does the text mean? And what you're asking questions like, what was the author's original intent? How did the audience originally understand it? Because, you know, 2000 years ago in the Middle East, Obviously, different language, different mindset, different culture, different history, mm -hmm. politics, different economy. And so if we try to understand the Bible from a 21st century Southern Californian or Arizona, or, you know, American, <laughs> that is just not going to happen. You're not going to get it. We have to put ourselves in their mindset. And so when you ask the question, what does the text mean? Then now you move on to the application. Third step. What does it mean for me right now? What do I do? What do I not do? How do I honor God? And even just big picture, you know, I just want to give you this gold nugget if you're listening right now. Anytime you open the Bible, always ask yourself three questions. What do I learn about God? What do I learn about myself? And how do I apply this? What do I learn about God? What do I learn about myself? And how do I apply this? So hopefully that helps you in reading the Bible on your own. 
I just want to say this uh, for those of you guys that are listening or watching right now, the things that Sean just talked about, he actually does that in his book. So he almost like takes the, some of the work out of you having to do all those things. And I really, really have to say that that has been so enriching and just like my relationship with Christ and my learning the scriptures and making sure that it does not get misinterpreted because that's the thing that we have to be very careful of. And as you guys know, I'm always challenging you. We need to raise the standard on the culture and live out the word of God. But in order to live out the word of God, you have to know the word of God and you have to make sure that you're looking at it in context, which means that you're looking at the big picture of the story and you're not just taking the parts that you like or that you think are important, but you really want to see what is God saying. And I love that. That's exactly what Sean does in his book. Sean, I just want to know, man, you have one of the things that, that you have in there and you have it so well is just like what's going on in the culture at that time. Where can we find information like this? I mean, that's something that is so important because like you said, our Western mindset, it misses like a lot of the translation just because we don't understand the times and we don't understand the way that it was written. So where do you, where would somebody find that information? Yeah, great question. So if I could nail down just one excellent free resource, it would be blb.org. blb.org stands for blueletterbible.org. This has tons of great free resources. And if you're wanting to dive deep specifically on like the history, culture, word studies, you know, all that kind of stuff, then I would say that website, there's plenty more resources, but I'm not going to give a, you know, massive right now. <laughs> But if I had to give one primary one, that would be it. And if you want to take that a step deeper, which I hope all of you do, blbi.org stands for Blue Letter Bible Institute.org. They have a lot of great free college level classes on all this kind of stuff from biblical studies to apologetics to, you know, all those kinds of things. And so if you want to go a step deeper and, uh, you know, do that, it even has a little quiz at the end then I would highly recommend it. In fact, when I was in high school, probably junior and senior year, I went through several BLBI courses because it was free. And that's one of my favorite words. And so, uh, and I was a poor high school student. And so I really enjoyed that. That's so cool. I yeah. So guys, definitely, if you are looking to really deepen your, your love for the scriptures and even just drawing near to God, you know, abiding in him, Man, the more that you can get out of the scriptures by use of these free resources, as we, he mentioned, free, you definitely want to do that. And, and we will definitely have a link to those things in the show notes. So we'll have that. Now, another thing, and you alluded to it earlier, Sean, and, and I have to say that I, I just so appreciate what you did on your work talking about the stories of Dinah and then Tamar. I cannot thank you enough for what, for just touching on those subjects, because I, I'll tell you honestly, when I used to read my Bible in the past, and for those of you guys who know my past and my upbringing and the struggles that I had, just having to overcome, you know, sexual assault, these passages of scripture, when it talked about rape and, and these things in the Bible, they were so hard. I would just gloss over them uh, because it was just, it was too hard for me to look at those things and then it would make me question a lot. Um, but you just tackled them so well and you brought such hope that I, I'll be honest with you. When I read through it, I just sat there and just cried. 
I cried and cried. I thank God that you wrote that. I thank God that I was able to actually finally get into the word in that area and really just overcome some of the hurdles that I've dealt with. Why don't, and for people who have never heard the story of Dinah and then, or Tamar, um, why don't you just kind of share a little bit? Cause I think that'll bring some hope to some people that are, are listening. Oh man. In Genesis 34, it gives a really traumatic event that's recorded. And so we see Jacob, who's also known as Israel. He has 12 sons, but he also has a daughter named Dinah. And they're living in an area that there's some not so good people on the other side of the tracks. And she's hanging around with these people and dad's not too involved, which is a big red flag. And so she gets involved with these people and and she ends up getting raped and being held captive basically. And because dad won't do anything because he's a coward or maybe afraid or whatever it might be, the sons, Simeon and Levi, which Levi was the head of the priest. So this is kind of radical you know, he, these two brothers, they go in, they deceive the town and trick them into getting circumcised, all the men. And so for those of you who know what that is, you know, there it is. If you don't know what that is, well, <laughs> ask April <laughs> or, or your parents. Um, and so while they were recovering, Simeon and Levi go to town literally and slaughter all of the men in that town all because they were getting revenge for their sister being raped by one of those guys. And so Genesis 34 is kind of that whole event that was taking place. But at the action point, we talk a lot about uh, the the horrific realities of sexual assault and how you can play your part, not only personally, but in your local church and help your church leadership to really not only set policies in place, but also to combat this and to be on the offensive, uh, not just the defensive to prevent these things, but the offensive to go and uh, help stop these things from happening. And so there's a number of action points that are there to help implement those things. Yeah. Again, Sean, I really appreciate the fact that you delve deep into those things and that you even put those action points because it was so freeing for me, I just have to say. And if, and if anyone who's listening out there has struggled with those things, have had to overcome the effects of, of rape, of sexual assault, I just want to encourage you all the more, you need to get this book so that you can really see what the scriptures truly say about these things. There's many injustices that happened in the book of Genesis. And it's just incredible just how when we read it with that kind of a knowledge and an understanding of it, you begin to see that God isn't a God that's in the sky that's looking down, you know, wagging his finger at us and and, and just being an evil person. But he's actually a sovereign, a loving and a compassionate father. And so I, I, I thank you so much for the way that you handled those. Uh, that, that was, like I said, just truly freeing for me. But I, I do have to say this, that when you guys read uh, Sean's book, there's a lot of things where I know Sean, I've known him for a while, and he can, he can at times come off as like a really serious guy who's just like very well versed in the word and whatnot, uh, pun intended. But, <laughs> but there's a lot of times where I read and I'm like, yo, that had me like LOL the whole time. I'm laughing. And then all of a sudden you read the next part of the, the paragraph and conviction just sets in and you realize, oh snap. And what I love in those moments where you start to just talk about things that are, that are pretty convicting that Sean, you are transparent about it and you make mention that it's not just something that you're 
pointing the finger out of, of what's going on in scripture, but you say, man, I've had to deal with this myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate the transparency in that and that you really challenge us to check ourselves, but then you also, you, you did it. So I, I just, I'm interested in knowing, you know, a lot of times when we study to give a message, and I, I think for you, as you were writing a book that first and foremost, we get the message before anyone else does. Yes. And then God challenges us. So I just, I just wonder as you were writing this book and as you're studying for it, how did God challenge you? What kind of things, processes that you went through in order to be able to make this beautiful work? Yeah, that is a real heart, heart hitting question (laughs) and a hard hitting question as well. I would say that, um, definitely when making the action points and just really asking God, you know, how do you, how do we apply this to right now in our different contexts? Um, I really needed to check myself to know that I was doing these things first, that as these things are being written down, I need to be leading by example in all of these different action points in some way or another. And so that really helps to challenge me to constantly get out of my own comfort zone and try new things and, um, you know, do things that I'm just straight up not comfortable with for the kingdom of God. But I know that it is for my betterment and uh, to help others as well. So which one of the action points did you have to, did you implement that you were like, well, this is way out of my comfort zone? Um, that's a great question. I'm actually trying to flip through it right now <laughs> to rock my, uh, my memory. Um, I believe later in Genesis, when talking about Jacob and about fatherhood, um, you know, we, our family, we've fostered kids in the past and, and we, my wife and I, we love spending time with at-risk youth and, and helping those types of people. And, uh, and we have our own two, you know, young biological boys. And, and that has been such a stretching because, uh, like, you know, fatherhood in general, because I didn't really have a whole lot of that growing up. And so looking to the word and looking to other men who were fathers and kind of looking at their example and just constantly trying to be stretched in that area. And so I think that the action points about leaving a legacy about fatherhood, those are probably on a very personal level challenging for me. What were some interesting facts that you learned as a result that you were like, whoa, I didn't know that. Cause it seems like as you write it and as I know you, I'm like, yo, this guy knew all this stuff already. But what, what was like some of the most interesting facts that you learned or maybe cultural things or just in your study overall uh, writing this book that just really stood out to you? So specifically with Genesis, um, back when starting the Bible college here in the Imperial Valley, and this was one of the courses that I actually taught for um, the Bible college. And so this was actually a 45 hour lecture and the, you know, that's not included <laughs> the papers and books and research and other stuff that students were doing. And so it was not so much, what am I going to put into the book? It was so much of all of the things I need to leave out, uh, especially for like the context of, of the writing and stuff. And so um, this was being condensed from 45 hours worth of lecture time. And so the majority of the study for me personally was already done uh, several years ago. But um, I think one of the most encouraging things is that, 
you know, the Bible is very real. And anyone who says the Bible's boring, no, it's not. You're boring. You haven't read the Bible. You don't really understand what's going on here. But the very first book, it has so much, so many dysfunctional families. And if you're listening and you think, no, man, my family is crazy dysfunctional. Um, I think that you would be out of your league when you start reading the book of Genesis and reading the families, you know, who literally carried the covenant line, like the promises of God, the Messiah were coming from these people, was coming from these people. Um, I'm encouraged to know that the very ones that Jesus came through were the very ones he came to save. All the craziness of families and individuals, those are the very types of people that Jesus came for. Awesome. So as we kind of close up our time together, Sean, uh, I would love for you to encourage those people out there. We'll definitely let them know about your book. But um, more than that, just encourage them to just study the scriptures, you know, sim as simple as it is, you know, just getting into the word. And, and maybe there's someone listening today that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And they're saying like this Bible, this ancient book, why am I going to study this? What, what for, you know, what would you say to them? My heart goes out to you right now for you who are listening. And if I could just kind of give you a hug <laughs> in a way I would definitely want to, because my heart breaks over what people are going through. Uh, at the time of this recording in 2020, I mean, we are just in a tailspin as individuals, as a country, you know, here in America. Um, so much division, racism, social justice movements, human trafficking, child trafficking, you know, people being addicted to drugs or pornography or uh, all kinds. I mean, there's so many issues. And with that being said, there's so many voices and it can seem so convoluted and confusing and overwhelming and like the problems seem so insurmountable and suffocating and it's it seems like there's no hope and it's all dark and bleak but there is hope there is a light there is truth and it's found in the word of god and there is a way to push aside all the distraction and it's by listening to the voice of god not only personally in prayer but specifically through his word. And so going back to why read the Bible? Well, not only does your life depend on it, but you need to read the Bible because you might be the only Bible some people read. And what I mean by that is other people may not read the scriptures, may not read God's word, but they see your life. They see what you're doing, what you're posting, what you're saying, what you're not saying. How are you representing God to them? How are you representing Jesus and his word to them? And so my heart goes out to you because out of everything that you consume, it Netflix is not number one. It should not be number one. You know, Hulu, Disney Plus, uh, Spotify, whatever's going on in there, podcasts, YouTube videos, whatever you consume, God and his word needs to be the absolute number one on that list. It needs to be the driving force of your life. Because if it's not, you're going to get caught up in all of the craziness of the world, and it's only going to lead to destruction. So for your own soul, you need to be in the Word, and I want to help you do that. 
Wonderful. So friends, at the start of this podcast, I posed two questions. One was, have you found it difficult to study the Bible and live like Jesus? And I hope that by now, through this conversation, you've noticed that, yes, indeed, that there there is hope and that you are able to do this. And Sean has just written just this incredible book that is going to be that companion for you to be able to uh, get through the word of God and be able to live like Jesus. The other question that I asked is if you're frustrated because you want to follow Christ, but you just don't know how to do that practically. Well, yet again, Sean's book is great for that because it really does give you practical tools on how you're able to serve the Lord. And and like he said, this would is a great book for yourself personally, but even to go through with a, a group of people, your small group, or maybe some friends that you want uh, to get together with. And and I do want to let you know that it he did such a great job in in writing this book that it's approachable. It's very approachable. So if you're saying like, well, I have these friends, but they don't really know a whole lot about Jesus and church and the Bible and that kind of thing. Perfect. Perfect. This book is exactly for them. He's just written it in just such a a very, like I said, approachable style. So, uh, and Sean, I know that as part of getting the book, they're also, let us know that, because I know you also have a, uh, like a Facebook group that you have. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so one of the goals is to definitely build a community so that way uh, everyone is helping each other to not only apply the word, but to encourage one another in whatever situation they're going through, or just to simply be there and pray for one another. Hopefully within the community of the In His Presence series, there's also new friendships that begin from not only local, uh, you know, within your own community, but also abroad. And so the way that you can do that is uh, simply you know, tag me on social, being Instagram or Facebook. The hashtag is in his presence challenge. And by doing that, you help to be a part of the community to where we can all help each other follow Jesus together. Wonderful. And then Sean, if people want to get in touch with you, I know you mentioned right now the in his presence um, group on Instagram, but what are the other ways to connect with you? Yeah, so Facebook and Instagram are probably the best ways, just Sean Reviso, pretty easy to find. But then also for the books, you can go to Amazon.com, simply search my name, Sean Reviso, and those resources will be there for you. They're available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. So if you're on the go, you like to listen, like I love listening to podcasts, like <laughs> podcasts, which you should subscribe to if you have not already, um, you know, that's what helps me. Wonderful. So real quick for people who uh, haven't heard of your other books, why don't you tell us just real quick about those books and what they're about? Yeah. So the other two that are out right now is the other in his present series book on the epistle of James. And so that was the very first one in the series, kind of a tribute to my firstborn son, James Paul Arviso. And then the one before that is uh, called factor fiction and giving you very straightforward evidence uh, to support the reliability of the resurrection of Jesus and the reliability of the Bible. This is kind of a primer to those subjects. And at the end of that book, it has two and a half pages of resources to go deeper. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Sean. I appreciate the gift of your time. Thank you for always, you, you always make it an opportunity for us to be able to have you. And I love having you on here. We'll definitely have to have you back. I appreciate you, Sean, uh, and just all sharing your knowledge with us. I, I, I think that's awesome. You know, all the work that you put into it, we're able to, to reap the blessings and the benefits of that. So thank you again. I appreciate it. I don't know if there's one last thing that you want to mention or just kind of throw out there before we go. 
if I had one last thing to share, it'd be this, that we're all a team, we're all a family, and we all have something to offer. And so for you who are listening, you may be wanting to serve God in some way. Just know there's no act of service too small. There is no gift too small. There is no talent that is insignificant. Whatever you have to offer to the Lord, God will be blessed by that. He will use that. He will multiply that. And when all of us come together and we follow Jesus together, we're locked arms in arms, and I have your back, you have my back, there's powerful things that can happen there because we have strength in numbers. We are better together than apart. And I want to pray for you. I love you guys. And April, on a personal note, I'm so encouraged by the work that you do. Keep on keeping on. And I'm looking forward to reading your book in the future. Yes, definitely. I'm working on it, finally. <laughs> Praise God. You guys are hearing it first here, so there you go. <laughs> Again, guys, it's been awesome just to be able to have you guys. The gift of your listening here and your time to this definitely want to encourage you again pick up that book go over to amazon check out sean arvizo you are definitely going to be richly blessed by all of the knowledge that he shares with you so guys again this is april ortiz challenging you guys to raise the standard on the culture by living out the word of god in every area of life god bless you guys with April Ortiz. To learn more about the ministry or to contact April, you may do so by visiting their website at strengthdignitylife.com or Facebook and Instagram at strengthdignitylife.